obviously don't take the assumption that all EU countries work the same. In a general sense, you would think they would because it's the single market, but they don't. Many Amazon sellers think business growth is the same as sales growth. But if you're smarter, you know e-commerce businesses are sold as a multiple of profits, not of sales. So if you want to build a sellable business, you need to grow profits. And to grow profits, you need to cut waste and increase profitable sales. Our new quick assessment helps you identify your biggest Amazon profit killer and what to do about it. Go to AmazonProfitQuiz.com. That's AmazonProfitQuiz.com to get your free instant diagnosis. Ladles and jelly spoons, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven and eight figure Amazon private label sellers. We are talking today on a really important topic, which is how, if you want to sell into Europe, which is a juicy place, do you do it? And when I say juicy, what I mean is Germany is the second biggest Amazon marketplace in the planet. And there are lots of other places, France particularly, there that, that will gladly buy our products. But it's a little bit tricky to get our products in there sometimes. And today we're going to talk about how any non-Europeans can export their goods there. We're talking to Jacob McCoy of Avask and Avask are real experts in import-export and the whole business of compliance, customs, you name it, anything to do with that whole process for Amazon sellers. Jacob, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Michael. Excited to be here. Yeah, good to have you here. It's been a while coming. So... Tell us about import-export. The first question is, why does it even matter? Do you think that it's actually worth even bothering these days, or is it just too much pain to even make the effort to bother selling into Europe if you're outside of Europe? Yes, it's definitely worth the pain, I think. And a lot of people were fairly complacent with the ease of selling in Europe prior to Brexit because importing to the UK is fairly easy, fairly standard, especially for people like overseas where... The UK is, or the English is their main language, so it makes it easier. Because of Brexit, it did make things quite difficult. You have to import directly to German, the Germany, then you're dealing with the German language. But essentially, the sales are still there, so it's a slight barrier to entry. But I wouldn't want it to put anyone off. You've just got to learn a new way of working, really. And essentially, it's you have to go through slightly more compliance, is what I would say. But at the end of the day, if it's going to be revenue that it's going to build for your business, why would you stop just because of that small, slight hiccup? Yeah, I guess the question is whether it is a slight hiccup. So hopefully today we'll reassure people. The other thing I would say, though, you've mentioned barrier to entry. All I would say is it's a barrier to entry that you've got to jump over once and get the setup. And that may be a bit painful and cost a bit of money. But that's also a barrier to every single one of your competitors who can't be bothered to do it. So I think that's, a, if anything, of actually a good reason to look into it seriously, in my opinion. So tell me about the common misconceptions that people have about this. What are the things that you see sellers falling afoul of because they just assume something and it isn't quite that way. So I would say, first of all, and it's not so much anymore, it still happens, but if we go back to the start of last year, sellers, they assumed that essentially they can trust whoever they're going to ship products with, whether it's one of the most couriers, whether it's a huge freight forwarder, whether it's your local freight forwarder. But essentially what I would advise is to always use someone who is knowledgeable on Amazon and knowledgeable with e-commerce because uh, whenever you're talking about import-export, whenever you're talking about sending products somewhere, and if you look online about import-export, it's always about two separate entities, a buyer and a seller. And now for a lot of Amazon sellers and a lot of e-commerce sellers, it's moving stock. And there's not many other industries where you're moving 
thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands worth of like stock to countries where you have no physical establishment. There's not many industries that have so many companies who are doing that. So that, that was one. Also thinking you've got enough information about sort of really double checking. So one of the main things I'd say is when the UK left the European Union, everyone had to get what's called a, a, an EORI number. So you have one for the EU, which the UK was included within the EU. And then because of the separation, you had to get one for the EU and one for the UK. So let's take an example, US seller had one for the UK, run products into the UK, and then they were distributed from there because we were in the free flow moving goods before Brexit. Now, lots of freight forwarders, uh, other businesses would say, oh, you need a new one, and then you can import into the EU. And then suddenly I had um, a lot of clients, a massive amount of clients who suddenly shipped after Brexit, products got to the European Union, say Germany, and they still didn't get through, even with that EURI number. But it's because their business isn't based in the EU. It's not actually physically located there, which if you had to talk to someone who knew the industry, knew how e-commerce works, then you would have got that information earlier. And you imagine you send a container directly to Germany. You think it's going to get cleared. It waits there for a week, two weeks before you get this information sorted. You imagine the charges that you're going to have on that. They will be very substantial. Yeah, that's definitely a nightmare to avoid, isn't it? Yeah, and, and it does amaze me that people do plunge into this stuff after a bit of a quick Google. It's one thing to send or even a pallet or two, but it's something else to send a container or even a substantial number of pallets without checking it properly. And I do come across that occasionally, as you say, probably less often now because the horror stories have circulated in all the Facebook groups, I think. But it's, yeah. if you're about to do that, please don't get in touch with experts and get it yeah. sorted. So tell me a little bit about Americans then, if they are experts in goods, presumably quite a few people would want want to go if they've got their goods made in China, which is still common at this stage of the game in mid-2022, and they are exporting it from China to the US and then maybe China to the UK. And if they want to sell in Germany, would it make sense for them to go directly from China to Germany? Or do you think that's not wise? And if so, how do they go about that? Yeah, it depends really. If you've got the inventory and if you've got the sales and you are able to go direct to source, I would always go direct to source because you're going to minimize costs. Obviously, if you bring it to one country and then send it again to the end destination, then there's additional costs for transport, but also you might incur like additional duty because you're going to have to pay that when it's so for example, you bring it to the UK, you then wanted to distribute it from the UK to Germany. You're going to pay duty when it comes into UK, duty when it goes into Germany based on your product. So if you are able to, which I know for not everyone is possible, but if you are able to definitely go direct to source, it's going to minimize your costs in terms of how to do it. So if you're a US-based company, you've got your supplier in China, you're bringing goods directly into Germany. One, obviously, you're going you're to need a freight forwarder. Everyone's going to know how to get a freight forwarder if they've already been imported from China to US, et cetera. But also you would need to appoint an indirect representative. So essentially what this is, someone to be jointly liable and jointly responsible for the information within your customs declaration. So that's the information on your products, like the product descriptions, the information on the product codes, values, that sort of thing. So essentially... The European Union wants someone with inside their jurisdiction to be jointly responsible. And in case, for whatever reason, information was correct, they chase you for payment because you paid incorrect duties. The business is based in the US. They don't really have any kind of power there to actually make sure they do 100% pay the money. So they want to appoint someone with inside their jurisdiction in case they don't, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. And it, it makes sense. It's a bit of a nightmare, but you can wrap your head around it. So an indirect representative is somebody who who actually does these things. Is it somebody who's completely independent? Do they tend to work for companies that are willing to take on the risk or what's the sort of structure of that? 
So you've got, and obviously don't take the assumption that all EU countries work the same. In a general sense, you would think they would because it's the single market, but they don't. Like you might send a product to Germany. They might ask for the, this requirements, like an indirect representation. You might send it to France. It might get through. Then you might send it again and then it doesn't get through for whatever reason. So it doesn't always work the same. But essentially, there's two ways of having an indirect representative. So one is actually through the declaration. So the person who submits the customs declaration, that could be the freight forwarder, that could be the customs agent, or it could be a, a someone else, like a separate customs broker, then they can submit the declaration and they can act as the representative. That's one way. The alternative way is for them to appoint the third party representative within the declaration. So in some countries you can do that. So essentially you'll have a broker, the importer and a third party representative. In some cases, the broker can just do the whole piece for you. But in some cases they won't. That I think as well would lead to some of the slight confusion because some countries won't allow it both ways. Some countries will only allow it one way. So you might send a shipment to one country. You can do it in a certain way and you have an indirect representative who isn't complete in the declaration. You try and do a replicate in another country of the EU and it doesn't work the same way. Yeah, bit of a nightmare. This variation, and unless Americans listening roll their eyes and go, "Oh my God, the Europeans are so complicated." Guess what? <laughs> when it comes to sales tax, the US is just as complicated for Europeans. Trust me. So it's no nowhere is entirely straightforward. I have to say, but yeah. nevertheless, worth knowing about. Now, so that brings me to the next question, really, which is: if you are wanting to sell into various different European countries, how would you go about this? So it's a sort of strategic thing would you start with just one country would you start pan eu but then try and just insert your goods through one particular country how would you approach it yeah it depends on the size of the business elsewhere if you've done your market research and you're pretty confident that you're going to get a good amount of sales you're going to get good revenue then it can in a lot of cases to be worth getting all of say the pan-european country so if we look if we're talking about amazon uh the countries where they currently use warehousing for pan-europeans germany france and spain poland and the czech republic the best way Amazon can operate is really by having all of those countries enabled. So you would get registered with VAT in all of those countries and you would allow them to store the products in all of those countries. And they're going to use their algorithm to distribute goods accordingly. Now, that doesn't mean you have to get products into each of those individual countries. You just have to get products to one and then let Amazon distribute from there, which yeah, is the best way of doing things. And that's the ideal scenario. But in a lot of cases... You might not know how it's going to go in Europe. So you might not be too confident about your sales. You might be just wanting to test the water. And I would say in those cases, you probably just want to register for say one. Um, you want to register for one, maybe two, probably Germany and France, realistically allow Amazon to store your products in Germany and France. There's within the back end of Amazon, you have inventory settings. So you can just allow them to store in certain countries. So you could go say Germany and France. And then you can see how sales go from there. You still only have to get the goods to one country. So that's always going to be the case. You only have to get them to one. And then Amazon will use their algorithm to distribute accordingly from there. So that's a potential, potential option. If you're really unsure about how to sell in the EU and whether your products are really going to do well at all and that you're not sure about expanding, then you can look at like a European fulfillment network, which is where Amazon so say, for example, you're using, already selling in the UK because you might be based in the US, the UK market, because it's obviously the same language and you can kind of guess it a bit better than the Europeans, like the Europeans, the Germans, French, etc. So you might want to just allow Amazon to fulfill from the UK into the EU. It comes with cross-border charges, which are quite high, but at least gives you a good idea of how your product's going to be adopted. Or the other way is selling it yourself directly from the US, which is really not the most attractive option. And you're probably going to get a lot more, much traction unless you have a very niche product. 
yeah, it did occur, didn't occur to me that you would actually consider doing that. I suppose it is possible, isn't it? If you've got something that's just not available at all, yeah, maybe. But I, I can't see the expectation that things come within two days going very well with it taking two weeks and having to fill out a customs declaration form when it arrives at your doorstep as a consumer. But So tell me a little bit about this. First of all, let's talk about the Pan-EU thing you just mentioned. I've got a couple of clients in the Mastermind, one in particular, who's using Pan-EU, got yep. it going again, and sent stock in there from the UK. But his... His thesis, I think, based on experience and the numbers that he shared with us in the mastermind to be very interesting, is that nevertheless, if you send stock into, say, Germany and sales pick up in France, you should get Amazon redistributing that stock. But his experience tells us that maybe that's not really going to happen because they obviously it costs them a lot of money and energy and fuel costs to transport goods around between one country and another. It's not a casual mm. thing. Yeah. You think that there is something to be said for sending stock directly to a country where you want to make sure you're in stock with your best sellers. The problem is setting up like the solution for both. It can be, you, you might get used to just sending it to one country. So you know what you're doing. I have a process there and now suddenly I've got to then test another customer's order, which is because that's what I was referencing earlier. Don't expect German customs and French customs to work the same. One of your products might get through and then one of the products might not get through in the other. So that's one thing I would say. Amazon should transport some of the goods based on their algorithm. But as you said, it does obviously cost, but at the same time, it costs them to keep in warehouses. So they, they do weigh that up on their algorithm. But from that perspective, if you look into the pan-European settings, then technically, from what I know, you should still get the local fulfillment fee, even if it was sent from Germany. And I believe they should still be able to fulfill it Prime. So I think from that perspective, it won't make a huge difference. I know there's certain products where it does. There's certain products where you have to send direct. You can't actually use Amazon's distribution, but that's much more kind of like individual cases, really. The majority, you can use Amazon then to transfer. But no, it, it, you are right. There is. I have spoken to some sellers where they do send to, to, to one country and then they didn't distribute as much as they thought. And like the majority just did stay in their country. If you're more happy with having your inventory spread and you know where you've sent it, then that, that makes sense. But I don't think overall it would affect your sales realistically. So is it worth going direct, creating that additional work for yourself rather than just going to the one place? Yeah, it's a good question. A couple of questions. So EFN, the European Fulfillment Network, if a lot of people I know who are UK based and I probably would apply to some Amazon sellers based in the US as well, will have stock yeah. in the UK and they don't want to go all in on shipping. They don't want to go all in on, on having to VAT register anywhere in Europe uh, and yeah. other things like the EPR, whatever other compliance you've got to jump through in Germany. There's a new acronym every month at the moment. Tell me about EFN. So you can, yeah. you, you get a cross-border charge as the seller. So I know you have to pay a bit more. Does it still get, uh, from the customer's perspective, do you think it still has the prime badge and the right sort of, does it cost them extra? How does that all? So it shouldn't really cost them any extra from what I know. But Amazon will calculate taxes and duties. So there's a difference between, so when you were using ESN and after Brexit and after the 1st of July last year, there, there was quite a lot of changes within that landscape. Obviously, first of all, there's the official customs border getting introduced, but then also there was the changes of 1st of July to how that is connected in a lot of cases. There's a threshold for duty. So if you're sending direct to a consumer from the UK, so you fulfill it from the UK, Amazon fulfill it, it goes to a consumer in Germany. There's VAT on any value. Now, if it's one euro, two euros, three euros, there's VAT. And there isn't duty until 150. So the way it's collected is slightly different. So 
there, Amazon will automatically collect the VAT. Obviously, if, if it's below 150, it's just the VAT. And then if it goes above 150, then they also will calculate now because of the EFN, this is only recently, they will calculate taxes as well. So that is, that's quite nice that they do that part for you. And it's nice that they relaunched that because that has literally only started in the last few months. Before then, it wasn't a possibility. The only way you could do it is through MSN, which if I'm honest, for most people was a bit of a nightmare because dealing with couriers, dealing with who's paying the duties and taxes. Amazon had a policy where you couldn't make the customer liable for duties and taxes. That was a bit of a headache for a lot of people. And in a lot of cases, it should have worked and it didn't necessarily work. But in terms of prime eligibility, I believe they do offer, still do offer some prime in some cases. I don't, I don't know what the criteria is product-wise and whether it's 100% of products that would be on prime if they were actually locally there or if they've got the category to that. But it, yeah, it's a good option to relaunch in Europe or start in Europe if you haven't actually sold there before, because at least you can, although you might not get as much profit because of the fees you're getting charged and you might not get no profit at all, at least you can know there is actually business there for me. There's revenue I can generate. So I am going to put the investment into paying for bulk shipments to go direct there, potentially having a third party warehouse or whatever it might be. Yeah. So that just to conclude then, don't do MFN so much or fulfilled. In other words, sending your own stuff because in theory you could make the couriers liable, but they won't want to pay for decent taxes. Yes. I've heard of the odd person who's tried to do that and it just got sent back or it, yeah, it just didn't work really. So yeah. the other one is it's fairly clear from what you said. EFN is somewhat imperfect. It's a very good system for testing, but it's not a very good one for scaling. So that's what you're saying. Yeah. So yeah. that makes a lot of sense. So once we get to that point, then tell us a little bit about what the procedures are. So let's assume that we've got somebody American or British, I guess in this case, it doesn't make so much difference who has got, who's tried EFN, European Fulfillment Network. They've just literally put a listing up in Germany and their stock is in the UK. When it sells, Amazon will deal with getting it across the border and charge us a little bit extra for the privilege. Nevertheless, a good option. So what's the next stage then if people want to actually start selling in a specific country? Let's say they go for Germany, which is the obvious one. What do people need to do in terms of compliance? Yeah. So first of all, if you're going to look to store products in any country in the EU, then you're going to need a VAT number. The first uh, point of call, really. So you, you need to get a VAT registration, which if I'm honest, Germany is the, out of all of the European markets, it's the best market by quite a way for the majority of products. But it's also the longest in terms of getting VAT registered, which is frustrating. So if you are planning to launch, then make sure you've considered the timeframes of that registration because realistically it's going to take three to four months in some cases so it's it's a very long time so that's one thing you're going to need to do you're going to need to check if there's any kind of additional product compliance that you need to adhere to in the european union so one example might be what's called a responsible person so essentially and you'll it'll be required for a lot of products you need to appoint a responsible person within the eu who essentially a responsible person might hold the paperwork for your product. So this might be the paperwork essentially proving you're saying what you're saying, you're selling and maybe lab reports, that kind of thing. If you sell something a bit more on that side and essentially trading standards can visit, make sure what you're saying you're selling is what you're selling and you've got all the correct paperwork for it. That might be one, one of the requirements. In Germany and France, you now need to register for what's called extended producer responsibility, which is frightens a lot of people, I'll be honest, Michael. And it's a new regulation, as you said, it's a new acronym, but essentially it's an environmental policy where people have to pay for the life cycle and their products. So you start having to pay essentially what's like an eco-tax, an eco-tax for say like the packaging you put onto products, like that's plastic, cardboard. It might be for like waste electronics and electric electrical items, batteries, and other categories. So Germany and France 
And that is going to be more countries in future. That will definitely scare people when I say that. But one thing I would say is it's small contributions. It's not bank breaking figures. It is small contributions. So don't be expected to be paying a significant amount. Obviously, if you're selling a, a ridiculous amount, your fee might be higher, but then everything's relevant. So that's that section. And then also making sure you've got someone to click clear customs for you. So whether you need to appoint a third party representative or whether who's doing the clearance will do it for you anyway, but ensuring that you do have that. And not necessarily, unless they're an e-commerce specialist, trusting is straightforward. And because I've had a lot of cases where people have said, yeah, it's fine, no worries. We can clear that for you. It gets to the border and then they need more information because one, you're not uh, an EU-based business, so they don't have that indirect representative. And then you need to then appoint one, which might not be immediate. And demurrage charges at ports for containers, pallets can be significantly high. So you don't want to get caught up. And what is a demurrage charge? I've heard of it, but I'm never quite clear. Yeah, it's essentially, essentially when you're getting charged for your goods that are stuck in customs, basically. So... Their goods are stuck at customers. They've got to sit somewhere. They might sit like in a bonded warehouse. So for anyone who doesn't know what a bonded warehouse is, it's essentially a warehouse. It might be located near the port that can be used to hold goods that haven't cleared customs. So there hasn't been an import declaration. Those goods will be held there and they can't be adapted. They can't move until they've actually been declared to customs and customs have released the goods. Now, to keep in those warehouses, there's going to be charges. So the freight forwarder, it might be their warehouse or it might be some, an agent they use. That warehouse is going to charge per day, per pallet or per cubic meter, whatever it is. And it will cost a lot of money because they're not cheap to run and they're expensive to keep goods in there. So you could have pallets in there. If you had pallets in there for a week, if you had like a 10 pallets in there a week, you'd be looking at thousands. Wow. Okay. So 10 pallets for a week is thousands. That's actually scary. In some cases, like in, if you've got good rates with freight forwarders, you might have deals, but I know yeah. we had a client recently who had not a lot of pallets. It wasn't a lot and it was in there for, I think around 10 days and it was like, yeah, yeah. just making sure that if you're going to launch, you're talking to someone who knows what they're doing, someone who's been in the industry and someone who's actually dealt with these situations before so you don't end up in those situations. Great. That makes a lot of sense. So talking of experts, let's just give you a second to to remind us what you guys do at Avask. So gave a general hint of that at the beginning of the show, but tell yeah. us more precisely what you do for people. Yeah, at Avask, we help sellers expand to new markets. We help people across the globe expand to different markets, one of the main ones being Europe, but also the US, the UAE, Australia. And that's across like multiple different services. It might be like accounting and corporations if you want to set up a separate entity. It might be international tax. What I mean by that is like a US company expanded to Europe, needed to register for VAT in Europe. It doesn't have to be US. You can be based anywhere in the world. We can register you for VAT across these different countries. Customs, obviously, which is my focus, which is at the moment for the UK and some EU-based countries, we can help you in getting products in. Also, new legislation. So again, EPR, what I mentioned before about the environmental policy, that's essentially something that's fairly new in terms of how it affects e-commerce sellers. So that's stuff that we, we offer. We keep on top of all these compliance, all these regulations. We would rather bring it in-house rather than sellers having to go to 10 different places. And hence why we try and bring everything within the realm, within the compliance realm, in-house and have it managed under one roof. So you don't have the headache of 10 different providers for 10 different services, which are all in the compliance aspect. Yeah. One thing that strikes me more and more is that what I think of as just exporting is not really 
so much about just the act of exporting it's having goods in a country which isn't quite the same thing in other words they've got to clear customs and get there but once mm. they're there they're then subject to regulations which they may not be subject to in in the us or uk or even maybe in some other eu member countries yes what i think of as one big lump for you is 10 different things and as you say 10 things but handled by one person becomes one big lump i could just hand off and say take care of it as opposed to having 10 different service providers, which could be a nightmare. And I've been there with exports in the US where we had three or four service providers not talking to each other, and that took a long time. (laughs) So yeah, definitely worth avoiding 100%. I know you've got a couple of ways that people can, you can help people. So one is you've got a whole bunch of information about imports and exporting. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we've got loads of information on our website, which is avastgroup.com for importing and exporting. So you can go through our website, you can contact us for any of the other services as well, because uh, people might listen in, might have already sorted import and export and they might need something else, EPR, counting, whatever it might be. But you can contact us through there. You can call us. We've got a team here in uh, Southampton. We've got a team in the US. We've got teams in Europe. So we do have a, a global presence um, who can speak in the different time zones and different languages, uh, et cetera. And as well, for, like, for myself, if you want to talk to me directly, you want to talk direct about imports and exports, there is a calendar directly to book in a call with myself. Yeah, I was going to say, so the links for those things, amazing, fba.com forward slash Jacob, J-A-C-O-B. For Jacob, you want to go straight to his calendar. It's just because his calendar link was a bit hard to read out. And the other one is the information you've got all about imports, exports and customs. If you haven't read a sort of primer, a bit of basic information about this, definitely worth reading. And that's amazing, fba.com forward slash export so just do go and check that out even if you've been exporting successfully to the eu i would suggest that you keep yourself up to date because as you say there's a lot of changes that seem to come almost monthly at the moment it's crazy certainly quarterly there's something new we're going to talk specifically for uk-based amazon sellers trying to get into germany next just because i deal with quite a few of those in the mastermind but for the moment just remains for me to say many thanks jacob for getting us through those choppy waters in one piece and helping to elucidate some of the mysteries of exports into Europe. Thank you very much, Michael. I'm hoping there was some good information there and it answers some questions for people. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven-figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening.